I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Oh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi, everyone. Jessica, thank you so much. Jessica Holmes for joining Mental Health News Radio. Thank you, Kristen. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm here with my trusty co-host, Frank King, the mental health comedian. Hey, Frank. Morning. <laughs> so we have two comedians and someone who thinks they're funny only in certain situations being that someone. <laughs> <laughs> um, usually I'm the only one that thinks I'm funny, but that's okay. Um, so Jessica, why, why getting into comedy? And then why did you feel like, hey, I can break the fourth wall. That's what I call it anyway, probably ridiculous. And talk about the thing that comedians don't tend to talk about, which is mental health challenges. Sure. Yeah. Comedy, I, I got into on a dare. A couple of friends at university and I dared each other to try stand up. So we went to an open, open mic night and uh, it was terrifying. I stole a sip of a stranger's drink to give me some courage on the way up to, stay, <laughs> to the stage. It was uh, awful, but I caught the bug as soon as I got my first laugh and um, got into comedy that way. And then years into it, uh, I suffered from depression. And when I recovered, I just felt like getting on stage would be empty if I didn't take advantage in, in order to sort of also discuss mental health in a very light, very funny way. And uh, so I've been doing that for about three or four years. I just heard the Canada, a boot. A boot. <laughs> <laughs> Do I really say a boot? Not, it's very subtle, but I can, but I, you know, my, I'm con, my, my world is about audio. So I, I heard it just a little uh, now. There it is. I love it. When I'm around my family, it, uh, it, it gets tenfold. It's just, it's pure, a boot, a bag, story, <laughs> all of it. Hey. Yes, and in your book, Depression, the comedy, you write like a Canadian. I was reading it this morning on uh, my Kindle and I thought, ah, oh, somebody's in Canada. <laughs> oh, do I, I write like a Canadian? Oh, you're talking about color spelled O-U-R. Yes. You know, when we won the Revolutionary War, one of the first things we did was take the U out of color just to <laughs> upset the British. <laughs> Is that why? Was it, was it to sort of set Americans apart? No, no, God, I thought I was gullible. No, uh, <laughs> no, I just, I wrote that joke, uh, Jessica. I was just something. I, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, 
but I'm I definitely feel like comedy is uh, the universal language, and that's part of why I wanted to make the book about depression funny, um, to make it more palatable for people, and uh, also I I just didn't want to trigger anybody. I didn't want anyone getting sadder <laughs> after learning about depression. Right. Right. I, I love the line that, um, and I, and I loved your book. I read it as I got it and I went, Oh, my weekend reading. And I took a picture of it and I think I posted it somewhere and people were like, not in the field of mental health. were like, that's your weekend reading. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, in my world, this is fantastic. It should be, this is how it should be in everybody's world. This is just called being a human. It's not the separate segment, but I love what you are. I don't know if you wrote this or someone wrote this about you that going through postpartum depression and a second depression years later, you became less of a June Cleaver and more of a David Hasselhoff when his daughter videotaped him lying down <laughs> in the back before successfully trying to eat a hamburger. That is so awesome it's a it's a mouthful that sentence and i'm sure the burger was a mouthful too while you were crying and sobbing or whatever you were doing but but that's a great sentence very very good sentence <laughs> oh thank you uh yes i did i did write that line um i wrote the whole thing and uh i i vividly remembered i was trying to think you know what what is a really degrading moment that i can that i can reference where someone truly fell apart and i remembered from years ago David Hasselhoff, a video his daughter took of him drunk on the bathroom floor trying to eat a burger. Like, it's just a weird combination, a really weird combination. And, uh, and that was sort of how I felt. I felt like on a good day, I would, I would recognize my behavior as being completely off the charts. And, uh, and, and yet in the moment, it just felt like this is me doing my best. Mm, absolutely. No, good writing, good writing, by the way. I think it's when I teach young comics, you got to paint the picture, you know, give us something as vivid as that reference, by the way. Everybody's seen it. Everybody knows it. Seen it multiple times. So they knew exactly, at least I did, and I imagine other people did. When they read it, they knew exactly what you were getting at. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I try try and write as though I'm on stage, as though I'm playing a certain character, and that's just always been my process. And uh, so my, my husband and kids say, it's kind of weird. We can hear you in there talking to yourself <laughs> and you're writing, but it's in my mind, I'm just acting out the scenes. I'm acting out whatever scenario I'm, I'm discussing and kind of playing my book persona. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. no, I, I talk loud. to myself all the time. I'm great company. He's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> great company with company too. Um, awesome. <laughs> that, that, underlying did were you ever diagnosed with dysthymia is that what that 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 underlying depression that's always there or was it just depressive episodes uh no it was uh depressive episodes Mm. yeah and even now even being recovered i still know if i have a couple of days that um where i'm not taking great care of myself or if my schedule is out of whack um i can sort of feel it creeping back in and i have to make sure I outrun it and kind of get back on my list of things to do for my mental health. So I feel like it's, for me, it's probably going to be my whole life making sure that I keep track of that and and keep it in check, which felt pretty unfair at the start. And then I just accepted it and accepted that it's actually pretty fun (laughs) living in a way where you're 
always making sure you're getting good exercise, good sleep, yeah. good socializing, making sure you're, you know, that your friends are people who are supportive, not ones that bring you down. Like it, it just turned out to be better for life anyway. But uh, it, it took me a while to sort of accept that. Yeah, you do go through a sort of a bitterness around it. And then you somehow make this leap to, oh, this is actually in my best interest to have to take care of myself. Yeah. The shame yeah. has to come to that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what do you mean I have to go out for a walk and enjoy nature? Boo. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Eat vegetables. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing, by the way, resonated in the book for me was the, and I talk about this in my keynote. I say, you know, it's depression, uh, contrary to popular belief, is not always situational. I've been the most wretchedly depressed at some of the best times in my life. Money in the bank, condo paid off, lots of bookings, and still wanted to open a vein. So mm -hmm. and you mentioned in, your, in your book, you know, I believe that there have been times when things were going great, but, you know, still felt depressed. Well, yeah, and, and that piece of it is the, is the piece that I sort of relate to the fact that people people don't understand and they want to be supportive of you if you say you're going through a hard time, but they say your life on paper looks better than mine. So how can I possibly um, feel yeah. sorry for you when I'm the one who's got the tangible problems? And uh, so I, I do pull out that drawing and I show people <laughs> how my psychiatrist drew, how a depressed mind is like having a sieve that uh, yeah. filters out all the positives and only the negatives make it through. And the example I give in the book is when I was opening for Oprah Winfrey, which Winfrey. should have been the <laughs> highlight of my life. Yes. But instead, I felt like I was watching a TV show of someone else doing that. I really, it just didn't register with me that whole day. And it was only when I recovered from the depression that I was like, oh my gosh, I could have handled that so much better. Um, or I could have just rejoiced in it. I could have been like, hey, that's a pretty cool notch in your belt. Um, and instead I treated it like, well, I showed up on time and I did what was expected and everything was cordial. Like it was very <laughs> odd. Um, yeah. So I have had to explain um, quite defensively um, to people that it's it's not, an attitude problem it's a mental health issue mm. um that's fascinating to me because I, I do remember doing a speech and it's a, a talk it's so boring it was nothing like opening for oprah it was talking to a bunch of mental health counselors about technology woo woo exciting stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> but i but the, that whole that talk is what brought me so much business that i was able to fund this whole podcast network so it was very significant in my life but mm -hmm. i remember the guy that invited me to speak with him uh, was like, oh, you know, are you here? Are you, you know, I was so stressed and I was depressed oh and all those things. And, and it went very well. Obviously it went very well. Great things came of it. But I remember that same feeling of I should be like on some kind of cloud or whatever. And I don't even feel like my feet are walking on the earth. I'm so in some other trapped world is what it felt like it's bizarre but yeah how, and how do you how have you done that with when you do you ever maybe this is a depressed person's thing do you ever feel like when you fully embrace a moment you're so happy so let's say it's a different kind of an event and it's mm -hmm. you know whoever 
Oprah's twin is there isn't one like her. <laughs> Renee, I don't know, whoever. And you open for that person or you're open for yourself and you are not depressed. You're totally in the moment. You're completely joyous. Have you ever had one of those where it all sinks in at that one moment, but it's all good feeling? There's no grind under there kind of poking at it somewhere? Oh, like have I had moments of pure joy where I don't even worry about? Yes. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there there are moments, and I would say, and I'm sure, Frank, you can identify with this. Um, when your career is being a corporate speaker, some of the gigs are just so incredible and meaningful. Um, the ones that are the most meaningful to me are when I truly know I've touched the audience where there's a lineup afterwards where people just want to say, hey, you know, you you touched our life in this way and man, was that ever funny. And those moments I feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in the right place and the right time and that my whole life has prepared me for this moment where I can give the very best of myself. Um, and I almost feel a little nervous in those moments because I'm like, uh-oh, that's what this I is so that. good. <laughs> this is yeah. so good. And I know I'm going to miss it when it's gone. Because then the next week you're doing a show where the audience is, you know, the room is set up where the audience is seated 50 feet away from you. The lights are up full. Um, half the people are on their phone. Like it's <laughs> so right. the the career is so up and down that um there are absolutely moments of elation. And then there are moments where you're going, okay, this is a paycheck and it's painful for all of us, but <laughs> we're just going to power through it. Yes. Uh, Tim Wilson, now deceased, a heart attack, I do believe, as many comedians end up since they don't have a self-care plan. Uh, mm -hmm. He did the night show and the next night, or the night after he was doing a Comedy Zone one-nighter hellish gig in Dothan, Alabama, <laughs> and sleeping in his car in between time. And he goes, you know, that's kind of how the comedy business is. One day you're on this night show, the next day you're at a night's in in Dothan, Alabama, and the front desk manager's pounding on the door screaming, you pay the phone bill, you pay the phone bill. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is a bit of a roller coaster. So. Well, and especially because you need great humility to be able to not be bothered by the, you know, I call them the um, embarrassment fee <laughs> jobs, the humiliation fee jobs, which is like a roadside cafe where there's two people in the audience kind of thing. You need the humility for that, but then you need to actually have the chutzpah to get up in front of a thousand people and and really command an audience. So it's quite a yo-yo that way. And I remember when when I was diagnosed with depression, uh, the first thing I said to my psychiatrist is, I don't think this is the right career for me because my heart just keeps, you know, my heart just travels along with the ups and downs of it. And she was like, uh, well, maybe instead of quitting your job and becoming a cashier, you could also <laughs> think about maybe we could just make a few adjustments to the job that, that you're in uh, before you throw in the towel. And at the time, you know, when you're in a depression, you you can't see that life will ever get better or easier right. or anything. So I was really skeptical. But uh, the changes that she made were um, finding out what things I find really meaningful in my day and figuring out how do we get those meaningful things every day for you. And then whether your gigs are terrific or your gigs are a humiliation fee, um, it's just a blip for you from now on. It won't be sort of the defining moment of your of your mood for the day. And uh, I am surprised to say it, it works. 
I think I'm going to stick with uh, comedy. <laughs> yeah, well, and I've got a friend who is going to be doing the podcast with me uh, starting this month, later this month, called the Suicide Prevention Punchline. Mm -hmm. Named Zarkon. She has schizoaffective disorder, and her therapist realized she was very funny and said to her, you should be a stand-up comedian. And she goes, look, I've got schizoaffective disorder. I've got plenty of delusions already. I don't need another one. <laughs> yeah, don't need to add to the plate. Well, and that's why I tell people, people who want to get into comedy, um, actually, to be honest, usually it's parents of kids who think they want to get into comedy who <laughs> will come over and be like, my kid wants to go into comedy. What do I tell them? And I say, you know what? Tell them if there's other things you love, if there's other things you're good at, then maybe think about doing those things because you can always be funny in life. People can always get more humor in their life. But to actually become a stand-up comedian, you have to learn to love the gamble of it and be a person whose stomach can handle all the sharp turns and sharp edges of it. And that's not necessarily for everybody. Like the, the first night that I did stand-up with my friends where we had all dared each other, I wasn't any funnier than anyone, but I was a risk taker. I didn't mind the the fact that I wouldn't know, <laughs> you know, is it is this a year where I'm going to be able to afford my car or is this a year where I'm like selling old clothes on eBay? <laughs> I, I, I just turns out I don't mind that kind of lifestyle and the thrill of the chase and stuff like that. But it's for sure not for everybody. No, I, no I've I, got to yeah. go ahead, Kristen. I was going to say, I, I get that in terms of being an entrepreneur, you know, uh, the, the safety of that everyday job and a regular paycheck. I clearly have not, I clearly need to have this risk of maybe a paycheck isn't coming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for that to be a lifelong thing and for sometimes there to be this windfall and yes, but yeah. you don't get to spend it like it's a windfall because you got to pay back for all the months that wasn't oh, yeah. And that's a life too of, of being in the entertainment industry. Some of my very good friends are in the entertainment industry and they are, you know, they're like, yeah, it's real fun getting chased down the street by paparazzi because they're part of my ego says, oh, I'm still relevant. And mm -hmm. I also... Um, don't have enough money in my on my ATM card to buy a dollar ninety nine uh, Red Bull. <laughs> oh, exactly. There's so many times. There, every choice my husband and I make financially, we have to say in five years, will we wish? You know, if we're both temping or something, will we wish we had not bought that piece of art, or will we be celebrating? Like, so we have to make all of our decisions that way of kind of going like, okay, you never know if it's a lean year or a good year. But he was on a Whiskas commercial about 15 oh, years ago class and national. yeah and uh the the commercial aired for a bit and then went away and then about five years ago it started airing all the time everywhere around the world <laughs> and so we're like yeah can, buy the steak tonight but not tomorrow not tomorrow we have to be prudent kind of thing <laughs> So I, I definitely see a lot of parallels between being an entrepreneur and being a comedian and, and learning to love the feast or famine and the, the windfall, the thrill of that. Um, for me, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing, but I totally get that it's uh, that I, I respect when there are some people who say this isn't the right career for me and they walk away in, yeah. in order to save their mental health. I completely respect that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Occasionally, uh, somebody on the cruise ship, because I work the boats, Holland America, mm -hmm. about 12 weeks a year, somebody will say, ask me about the casino. 
do you gamble? And I go, look, I've been doing stand-up <laughs> comedy full-time for 33 years. Just oh, wow. Just on the floor in the morning is a gamble. Anybody here want those odds? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got enough gambling going on in my job that yeah, I I certainly don't need to hit the casino for it. No. Oh my gosh, no. no! I've had people try to walk me through a casino and they're like, "Just play the slots machines." I'm like, "Just hand me the twenty dollars and let me rip it up for you right here. We don't even oh need yeah, convert it to coins. It's just just let's let's just take this the the take the bullet here, okay? Uh, yeah, we lost uh, eight hundred dollars on a on a slot machine called kitty glitter the one and only time i've ever been to las vegas so we we realized yeah that's not really for us we're the wrong personality yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh man well navigating all of that i mean both of you i mean i navigate depression as well this is the first time in my life where i'm like i am solidly not depressed for for several months and i'm not taking medication it's there at the ready it calls my name remember i'm here Remember, the minute you start feeling something, mm-hmm. you if you go go for it because I all the all the years of f- battling with medication those are over. I will take it as necessary. But there is that thing, and I, I want to ask both of you about this. Where sometimes when you're feeling so good, uh, where it's all in alignment, I will feel like a little bit embarrassed or mm-hmm. I don't deserve all this or what am I going to be able to come down from the high and do I want, am I going to be able to handle that down so that I carry that around with me? And I think, well, that's kind of, that's a joy usurper. That's not very, <laughs> that's not very mm-hmm. fun. So what do you, let's start with you, Jessica, what do you think about that and, and how do you handle that? Yeah, I've, um, I love the book Furiously Happy, and it's um, written by a, um, a woman who uh, says that because she has so many issues with depression and anxiety, that in the moments when she does feel joyous, she makes sure she's super obnoxious about it. Like she's like, I'm going to have the fun the heck out of this thing. And uh, really kind of goes off the charts in the way that she doesn't care if people are embarrassed of her. Like she just doesn't care. And uh I read that book and it, and it helped me a lot um, just in terms of instead of waiting for the other shoe to drop, I, I could just enjoy it. And that's where I find mindfulness is a good thing because you're just being here now, um, feeling what you're feeling, not wondering when will that end, not questioning it. And uh, that has helped me sort of not feel suspicious of the <laughs> really good moments or not feel like, Oh, what a, what a downer when this ends. But um I guess, I guess I'm an optimist and uh, it feels good to be at a place where I can be optimistic again, where I know, okay, I get it that sometimes these moments are fleeting, but it'll come back again. Like even if I lose it, it'll come back again. Mm -hmm. Uh, What about you, Frank? Uh, I, you mentioned something earlier about looking good on paper and feeling guilty because there are people who have far less and far mm-hmm. larger problems. Occasionally I, you know, we have a lovely house and I have a lovely wife and I do what I love for a living. So I, every now and then I feel a little guilty, you know, well, I'm depressed. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I know. Cause it's like, well, how much better would your life have to be to not be depressed? And that's what you try to explain to people. It's not about, I could, I could be made king of the world tomorrow <laughs> and win 12 bags of gold, but it would still, my mood would still feel what my mood feels. And and that's the part we, 
we struggle with, right? It's like a white collar crime almost, Frank, what you're talking about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I walk into a conference room and I'm sure Jessica, you've had this experience. I walk into a conference room and speak to a thousand people and I walk out with more money in the form of a check than if I'd pulled out a gun and robbed every last one of them. And yeah. So, you know, there's a little, it's a little um, surreal occasionally. The, yeah. As a comic, though, what I, and I tell young comics is, look, if I have a good show, like uh, I just did Holland America, had a 50-minute preview show and two great 45-minute shows, and, and I, I can ride that, I can ride those three shows for a week or two by the same token if I, you know, die in a beer bar in Hillsboro, Oregon, like I said, in front of half a dozen drunk loggers, then I'll be, <laughs> I'll be riding that ugly, you know, oh, yeah. uh, emotion for a week or two, because comics, as they often say are only as good as their last show. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Heard. And sometimes I'll know I'll, I'll, if I have a tough show and a tough crowd, I'll be like, Oh no, when's my next gig. And if the, if my next gig's not for two weeks, I'm like, Oh, I have to wait two weeks yeah. to redeem this feeling. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll, I'll make a donation to a charity or I'll like do an act of kindness for a friend or something just to feel like, please let me just like shower off <laughs> the kind of stink of, of a bad crowd type of thing. Um, and, and there's even times of the year where like I work so much less in the summer and yep. I don't work a ton in December or January, but then the other months I, I end up so busy. So for me, the more dangerous thing, some people don't like to be too busy. I'd rather be too busy than not busy enough where I feel like I don't have purpose for these two months and I get all existential. Like what is life about? Oh my gosh. Why did the dinosaurs have to go? Like, it's just asking the stupidest questions in the world. So now when I know I have a dry spell coming up, I make sure I have like a list of books I'm going to read. I, I try and uh, arrange to go for coffee with a different friend every day or interview people. Like I, I just try and pack it full of things that are still intellectually stimulating where I know I won't just go ruminating about what is the meaning of life, life, life. <laughs> I don't want that. Right. Why is cow flatulence such a large problem? Why? <laughs> oh, seriously. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and those, when you're waiting for some things to happen, like you're get your, the thing about being an entrepreneur and being a comedian is being an entrepreneur too. I mean, you are mm -hmm. running your own business. Your business is you, um, you know, when you're waiting for those checks that, that, and, and I've had to learn so much about, okay, waiting to get paid for things um, cannot be the determiner of how happy I'm going to be. That's such a yeah. bad precedent to set. It really is. So um, that and, you know, I had another one that I had to learn, which is my ex-husband was always ill in one way or another. So I spent years, well, when he gets through this illness and after 30 years, I was like, okay, I think you needed to learn the lesson maybe in the first decade that he's never not going to be ill. So don't <laughs> oh rest gosh. your happiness upon his being well. But you know, it's those things that you learn when you're when you're walking on more of a tightrope in terms of a career or whatever it is. And then you have the depression part of it. And I wonder, um, Frank, I, I want to put this out to you. Do you think that the grist of the mill of depression has helped you become are able to be a comedian for so long? Uh, I, I think uh, two things. One, Jessica is correct. It's not the funniest person. There were much, many funnier people at open mic night when I started than I am. It's just someone who was 
you know, dedicated. And as Jessica said, I could, could see themselves doing nothing else. It's, it's like a last man and woman standing business. That's part of it. The other part is I believe that my mental illness, you know, I did the, the TED talk on mental with benefits, the evolutionary advantages of mental illness. I believe the way my brain processes information is just tied in to the, to my depression and thoughts of suicide. It's all the same wiring. And if you took out the major depressive disorder and the chronic suicidality, if you could wave a wand and do that, that I would no longer process information as a comedian does. I can teach you to write stand up. I can teach you to perform stand up, but I cannot teach you to do. And Jessica talks about this in your book, in your book, I mean, to speak of you in the third person, Jessica, like you know. <laughs> no uh, problem. Jessica, you speak about this in your book. You made notes as, you know, these funny family, funny friend things. Um, you know, you saw those things and you found the funny in immediately. And I believe it's because of the way you are, your brain is wired. That in Everybody heard the same input, but it just struck you as, you know, as, wait a minute. What's, uh, let me make a note of that. That's very funny. Whereas a few other people in the room, my, I'm almost certain made no note of the fact of how ironic, right. stupid, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm on a plane. I t maybe I told you this, Kristen. I'm on a plane in in Atlanta, and it's the day after they decided to let you use your iPhone on takeoff or landing. If you, you know, got in airplane mode. Flight attendant goes through the regular rigmarole safety thing, and then she gets to this new FAA regulation, which is not written down anywhere. So she's got to make it up. So she goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, uh, due to new FAA regulation, long pause." Uh, then she gets inspired. Uh, due to new FAA regulation, if you have small equipment, you can continue playing with it. <laughs> I'm bent over double laughing. That's awesome. Yeah, nobody else in the plane. My seatmate looks at me and goes, what? And I go, let's review. Before I can review, <laughs> she comes back on and goes, if you got large equipment, you're going to have to shove that under the seat in front of you. So oh, I'm my gosh. Yeah. So I, to answer your question, Kristen, I think that is where my mental illness and my comedic, you know, the way my brain processes, because no, everybody else on the plane heard all that. They just didn't, you know, <laughs> process it that way. And, and reading your book, Jessica, I can see that that's how you, you process these events. Mm -hmm. They strike you as, you know, there's funny. And I've actually been at a convention where I'm walking the, the exhibit hall floor looking for funny stuff. And I'll walk past something and I'll stop and go back and I'm looking at like a tchotchke of some kind. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what's funny about that, but but that something in my head as I walk by, caught in my subconscious perhaps, caught my attention. I'm going to put this in the bag because I bet you there's something funny there. I'll just have to give it a little more thought. Mm -hmm. Kind of like you writing down notes on your Wrigley's uh, on the on the gum wrapper. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to save this. I got to write that. And I write stuff on my hand and. Uh, well, what about what about that piece, you know, Jessica, for you, where because you have to deal with I don't want to shower like the idea of actually taking a shower seems like Mount Everest right and being able to have the resilience to live through that to me seems like a recipe for being able to be a long-term stand-up comedian oh um so well I'll I sorry I'm, I'm gonna kind of go off on a thing here but um it's I had a friend who was going through something and she didn't know what it was, but she said, um, you know, my husband says I stink. I, my mom came over and was like, you need to shower. And she's like, and I just can't, I just don't want to do that. And I think there's some part in a depression and this isn't for everyone, but um, certainly for me, I felt like self care, stuff like that. I, 
I couldn't see the point in it. And it was almost like I wanted my outside to match my inside. Mm. Um, but sorry, yeah. um, please redirect me <laughs> to answer well, the, the question. I, I'm, I'm famous for, ans- for asking these. Well, I'm not famous at all. Uh, I'm famous in my own mind. This is my own narcissism speaking for, ans- for asking these out of field questions where people are like, what? Um, okay. What I'm thinking is because people outside of the mental health field, which it's getting much better, tend to think, oh, depression is weakness. That's this why we're out there fighting against right. stigma, blah, blah, blah. But it, it isn't. You are so strong that you can live through depression. Maybe this journey that you've had with depression is part of what makes you able to do this and have a long career at it and withstand the ups and downs of it. Does that make more sense? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I will... I will do that for sure. That was quite a long sentence, Kristen. <laughs> um, yeah, no kidding. Was, I'm going to, I'm going to tackle one part of that. And uh, it is to say for me doing the actual comedy show is my release. Like that's when I know that's going to help get me out of the funk that I'm in. Um, for me, it's always been the downtime that's harder. But then the other piece of that is um, I tell all audiences and I'll tell whoever happens to be listening to this to please give yourself a huge pat on the back for whatever thing you are able to accomplish in the day. Even if it's you got up and went to the kitchen and got, you know, got something to eat, even if it's you, um, you managed to walk around the block today, like whatever small thing you do for yourself. Uh, if, if you're in the midst of suffering from some mental health issue, I hope people give themselves a huge pat on the back because you know, it's the, you feel emotionally like you are covered in cement, like someone poured it on you. And that's how hard it was for me to get up off the sofa. And, uh, so to anyone, anywhere in their journey, I hope they honor themselves, um, and can, can give themselves a pat on the back if no one else has given it to you, (laughs) um, for what you are able to accomplish, because it, it can be if you're in the midst of a, dep- a depression, it can really be hard to find any sort of reason for doing it. And that's why I think comedians, um, sorry, uh, anyone suffering from depression um, does show optimism by still waking up the next day and still <laughs> trusting that it might get better. Maybe today is the day, maybe something will come of it and I shouldn't give up. Um, so I think that's a beautiful piece of optimism that anyone who just keeps on trucking has all of my respect. Well, you know, what got me through it, Jessica, is mm-hmm. uh, my, my chronic suicidality. And I, I heard from Dr. Mark Goulston, who's another podcaster on the network, had a client say to him, if it weren't for my chronic suicidality, meaning suicide is always an option as a solution for problems large and small, mm-hmm. if it weren't for chronic suicidality, I would have killed myself a long time ago. Um, having that out, that, that's, that's, that's my su- superpower. And I'm watching Ricky Gervais in Afterlife on mm-hmm. Netflix. And he's talking to his boss, a second episode of thing. And the boss, you know, he's lost his wife to cancer. He's been very depressed. The boss asks him how he is checking in. And he goes, I'm, I'm suicidal. Uh, you know, I, I hate this. He works at a newspaper. It's not much of a newspaper. He, hates, he goes, I hate this. I'm going to do it until I can't anymore. And then I'm going to kill myself. It's kind of my, well, sad to say, kind of my superpower. Uh, <laughs> right. So that's all. Is that great. is that how you feel? Yes, absolutely. That's I did a TED. I hate. I don't hate to keep saying this. I did another TED talk called "Suicide: The Secret <laughs> of My Success." Um, I was married to a lovely woman. And, and, no, thank you. Uh, you know me. I've got reverse imposter syndrome. I'm just waiting for people to tumble the fact that I am famous. <laughs> um, 
the uh I was married to a lovely woman, but she wasn't for me. I was selling insurance, which is a great business, but not for me. And I realized I was suicidal. I was going to kill myself if I didn't change something. And then it, that was empowering because I thought, well, what the heck? I can divorce my wife, quit my job, try stand-up comedy, which I think is where I belong. And if it doesn't work out, hell, I can still kill myself. So it, wow. it gave me, it gives me, um, when, when I came close to killing myself in 2010, I realized that my insurance policy, I'd had a life insurance policy only 22 months and my lovely wife wouldn't get the million dollars in term insurance unless I lived 24 months and a day uh, since I bought the policy. So I had to live another two months and a day wow. before I ended my life. And so what, but what gave me the ability to do that was I thought, well, on, you know, on day 62, uh, I can, I can end the pain. So it's, it's kind of a, it is Ricky. I think whoever's writing that show, somebody mm -hmm. on that show on the staff has issues because mm -hmm. the next episode, two guys stop him, mug him, pull out knives, go give us your money. And Ricky goes, or what? <laughs> yeah, go, oh, go we're ahead. Gonna, we're going to, yeah, we're going <laughs> to kill you. And he goes, you know, for most people, that would be an inducement to hand over their wallet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, That's exactly it was, the way I feel. No, uh, go ahead, pull the trigger. I've been trying to do that for decades. And um, is that, is it okay for me to ask this? Is that how you feel every day? Like even today, are you thinking, oh, if the going gets tough, I could always kill myself. And that gives you a sense of empowerment, like even today? Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's, I mean, it's not, it's not something I'm going to do. It's not something uh, that I've, you know, I mean, it's, I think when they ask you, are you depressed? Yes. Thoughts of suicide? Yes. Do you have a plan? Look, I've got chronic suicidality. I've got a half dozen plans. Which one do you want to hear? Um, the next question should be, and is not yet, are you going to kill yourself? Well, no. <laughs> Why would I kill myself? Uh, and th then the, the fourth, fifth question should be, well, tell me why not? So, you know, give me a positive, tell me what you're thinking is. Why are you not going to kill yourself if you've been thinking about it all day long? I don't think about it all day long, but it crosses my mind. I, said to somebody online the other day, because I don't think I've got chronic suicidality. So let me ask you this. Last time you pulled up to a railroad crossing and the, you know, the arms are coming down, the lights are flashing, the train's coming to the distance. Did you have this thought? You know, I could pull onto the tracks before the arm comes down. That would be that. He goes, oh, dear God, I've got chronic suicidality. Uh, right. That, that's what, that's textbook definition, chronic suicidality. So yeah, it's, 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 I'm like Ricky Gervais. It's my, it is my superpower. I don't, I, yeah, what, what I've discovered by the way, and you mentioned this earlier, Jessica, your best moments are after a show when you've touched somebody emotionally. And mm -hmm. most times when I speak, every time I've spoken so far, at least one person's come up and it turns out they had chronic suicidality. They didn't know it had a name. They didn't know. They thought they were just some kind of freak. They didn't think anybody else thought that way. I've had people weep when they realized that they were not alone. Wow. And yeah, yeah and, that, and that, by the way, is why I can't kill myself. If somebody says, well, are, how do you know you're not going to kill yourself? Well, because of all these people who come up after my, my, my speech, you know, if I weren't there to speak, to make them realize they're not alone, then if I kill myself, I'd be dragging who knows how many people with me who never had a chance to realize that they're, you know, it's just part of the human condition. You know, it's, you're not a yeah. freak. So... I think that's the piece that we, right, where Frank and I really love what we do because we we keep, yes, this where we talk about mental health and it needs a label so that people can stop labeling it. But when you, um, 
when you really get to the nuts and bolts of it, it's literally just being a human being. It's not really this mental health category. It's really just the human experience. So, Yeah, and I think the way that I used to in my career, I, I used to think, I just want to make people laugh. I just want to make people laugh. Now it's more about, I just want to connect with people because I think so many of us are going through the same thing and doesn't it feel good when we find out we're not alone in in whatever that one struggle is. And so when I get on stage, even if I'm hired to do purely comedy, I try and throw a little something in there just to let them know I've um, suffered depression in the past. Just because um, you you see how far that goes to, to just, even times when I have found out, you know, if someone else tells me, oh, I have chronic sleep problems, suddenly a little weight is lifted off me and I'm like, you too? So it's not like the universe is just punishing me <laughs> with this weird 3 a.m. wake up every day. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Like, I think there's so much healing from just being validated. And I'm a comedian. I can't cure anybody, but um, I've I've made it my work to just validate people the same way that when other people remind me that uh, I'm not alone in my problems. It just oh, it feels like such a relief. It's It's like someone just put a life jacket on me. That's the relief of comedy too, is those everyday things that we experience. Mm -hmm. told yeah, I have, I have a whole, way. yeah, I have a stand up, a new stand up that I've been doing about the fact that my husband and I both work from home and that it's just too much of a good thing and <laughs> always in my space and we're starting to get a little passive aggressive. And I love it because then people come up after and they're like, oh my God, I can't stand, I can't stand it. My husband and I both work from home. It's just the worst. And uh, so again, I love when there's healing in company, when, you know, you just realizing other people are in that same boat is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. When I did my, when I did my original coming out TED talk, because nobody knew. I was, mm -hmm. 50, it was like, it was only what, 2014. So five years ago, I was 57. Nobody knew my family and my wife, nothing. I came out on stage as depressed and suicidal. And part of that talk, I say, look, here's what I've discovered preparing for this talk. You mentioned the words depression and suicide out loud. You get the most amazing responses from people, some of whom you've just met. It's like they're just, they're just waiting for somebody to utter the magic or tragic words, depression and suicide, to give voice to those feelings and experiences. They've just, they're on the edge of their seat waiting for somebody to, you know, give them permission to open up. Mm -hmm. So I figured that's what my job is, your job is, is to give them cover, give them permission to give voice to those feelings. Yeah. And I guess with comedians, because we don't embarrass the same way, like, because <laughs> when, when something bad happens to us, instead of saying, Oh, I hope no one saw that we're like, Oh, I can't wait I'm to show this to people. <laughs> you know, there's that sense of it. So I feel like we will take the comedy bullet for, <laughs> for oh, other yeah. people so that they can feel less embarrassed about about their own thing. And I kind of love the new wave of comedy. If you look at the Netflix specials out there right now, it's Adam Sandler and, and Chris Rock. And I was so impressed that they did their regular comedy sets, but then they had a, a deeper message within it. And I thought that was so beautiful that they took their platform and just added a little bit of depth to it and a little bit of their personal uh, struggles into it. And suddenly it becomes so much more effective because you're laughing and your heart is a little open and you're willing to kind of 
you know, in Chris Rock's case, it's it's that he felt like he always had to steal the limelight in his marriage, and he and he realized he has to sometimes just sit back and play the tambourine and let her be the star. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. it's so beautiful. And um, so I I like that. I like that it's it's okay for comedians to sort of take that moment, and uh, it it wouldn't have been like that so much a few years ago. So I'm I think we're in a nice place where comedians are allowed to do a little bit of good work along with the fart jokes. Well, Adam, Adam Sandler on Saturday Night Live this past week, he, was, he wrote a song and he opened with a song about getting fired from Saturday Night Live. And then he says, that was a long time and 24 pounds ago, implying to put on 24 pounds, which I thought was a really nice human moment. Yes. And I heard that people reached out to him after and said, thank you so much because I've been fired and it felt really good to hear mm. you say you've been fired. Yeah. Who fires you know? Adam Sandler? Who in there? Oh, right I know. Mind? What? Like, yeah. So many, when you put, peel back the, the persona of celebrity and you see this is just a human being, it's so nice that we have this ability you know, to, to do that now. Um, Jessica, I want to make sure all of our listeners know the book, Depression, the Comedy. Listeners, I know you've been tolerating me for, I don't know, six or seven <laughs> years now. Thank you. I'm telling you, and you guys know, I can't read every book that gets sent to me, not because I'm special and important, just because I, there's a lot of books that get sent. I could not wait to read this book. It was so good. It was laugh out loud funny, and it made me cry. Sometimes I was laughing out loud and crying very sadly at the same time. So get it. It was so good. Jessica, tell our listeners where they, I know they can get the book on Amazon, but where can they find you, where you're going to be doing your shows, all that stuff. Where are you in the world? Where, where in the world is Waldo? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. Depression, the comedy is on Amazon and it it might be in a couple bookstores down there. Um, JessicaHolmes.com is my website and, uh, yeah, I just try and put things, uh, anything online whenever I can on Facebook and Instagram and those kinds of things. And, and I try and put a little bit of funny and a little bit of frou-frou and some feel-good stuff in in whatever I put on there. So uh, that's what I'm sending out to the world is uh, just some love and levity and the knowledge that we're all in this together. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on our show. Thanks a million for having me. Great talking to you guys. Absolutely. Frank, thank you as usual. Oh, my pleasure. It was delightful. Uh, somebody, another, another mentally ill comedian. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> yeah, exactly. More than we realize. Um, and listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive.
Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.